As we come to 1 Samuel chapter 10, we are shifting gears now in the book of 1 Samuel, where although Samuel is in the text, the focal point really is Saul, that first king of Israel. The people demanded a king. We'll see a lot about that tonight. And God's going to give him a king. And it wasn't plan A. It was sort of really wasn't even plan B, but God was going to work through it and even made promises to them, even in the midst of this situation that was not his best choice. All of his choices are good. His first choice for them, not their best choice, to, I mean, to settle for Saul instead of having God rule over them was a huge step down. But at any rate, that's our background to the story now. So Saturday night we're here, and we looked at this text topically, and then tonight we'll go through the first part of chapter 10. We get the same text from Saturday, more in the verse-by-verse format. And we read it as it says this, verse 1 of chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. Now, this is the background. He had been talking to Saul, and he said, wait here before I declare to you the word of the Lord, the word of God. And now this whole moment's at an apex when he left off two weeks ago in chapter 9 that something's about to happen. And so that happening is Samuel takes out the anointing oil, and he says, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men, one by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father sees caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the Terebinah three at Tabor. And there are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, and one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you've come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, tambourine, flute, harp before them. And they will be prophesying, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall surely go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. And so it was when he was turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him, that is Saul, another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. Verses 1 through 9 of here, chapter 10. First of all, there's the signs that Samuel gives Saul to confirm the anointing and his prophesying. These are such detailed signs. And again, the, the Old Testament tells us in Deuteronomy, you'll know someone's a prophet if what they say comes to pass. Any error means they're not a prophet. It has to be 100% correct. And Samuel, of course, was 100% spot on. And all these signs are so deliberate and so detailed. And we said this, you know, we say it again. God will give you personally signs that you need to know you're in his will. When you're seeking the Lord and you're knocking and you're asking, saying, Lord, is this the right way? And we do live by faith and we take steps of faith, but he will give us that confirmation. He'll give you that little thing that only you and him know is the thing for you on your frequency with the Lord. He'll give you that Only the Lord can know that. You can be with someone else, and it's not a sign to them. But when you see, it's like, wait a second. That thought came on my mind this morning when I was in devotion, this very thing. And I'm seeing this. My coworker didn't have that on their mind this morning or my spouse or whatever. But that's that's the Lord confirming. 
And he gives us those signs to let us know he's for us, he's with us, and he's got a calling on our life. When we've given our life to Christ, there's a great calling of things to do. We're saved by grace, not by works, but by being saved by grace, we are his workmanship. And really, Saul was meant to be, as the king of Israel, God's workmanship in that Old Testament way. Now, he says there in verse 6 that the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them. So these prophets are going to come down. They're going to be singing praises. He's going to walk right in the middle of like this worship session coming down the hill. And he's going to have the Spirit of God come upon him. We saw in the book of Judges where the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and came upon Samson. And God would put his Spirit on people in the Old Testament. But of course, in the New Testament... Jesus promised to give us the Holy Spirit, to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And as we understand the New Testament teaching, the apostolic doctrine, that when we're born again and we give our life to Christ, we're born of the Spirit. So we're two-dimensional in a sense before we give our life to Christ. For in Adam all were born, but in Adam all die. And therefore we must be born again and be born of the Spirit of God. And then we're like multidimensional where eternal life is in us. Because we're told we have eternal life now, and we have it because the Spirit of God who's eternal is in us. So we can grieve the Spirit, we can quench the Spirit, or we can be led by the Spirit and guided by the Spirit and comforted by the Spirit. So that's what we have there as a believer. So that's the fullness. This is a shadow, not the same thing for them, but it's a shadow of things to come. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, who's going to be the king, and we're told that he turned, it turned him into, that Samuel said the Spirit of God, when he came upon him, would turn him into another man. And then he said, when these signs come to you, so there are signs to confirm it, you will do as the occasion demands. So the Spirit would empower. God would give confirming signs if the Spirit was there empowering. And that was to encourage Saul to step up and do what he's called to do. Also noteworthy here, Jesus and his ministry, because Jesus is our king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. Even so, in his ministry, when he lived a sinless life for about 30 years, you could never bring an accusation against him from the toddler room all the way to adult business practices in the city of Nazareth. But when it was time, when the fullness of time came for him to be revealed to the nation as their Messiah, their Christ, the one who fulfills the Old Testament scriptures, all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the one who defeats Satan, that this king, their king, because there's prophecies about the king, God made prophecies to King David a thousand years before that the son, that his descendants would reign forever, the ultimate king, and that is Jesus. But until the time that he went to see John the Baptist, he was hidden that way, like you would know, like, man, he's, you couldn't bring an accusation against him, but he was not revealed as their Messiah and even in John chapter 1, it's like, could this be the Christ? We'll come and see, right, when he's being presented, beginning to begin his ministry there in the Galilean region. But he went to John the Baptist, and John recognized who he was and said, you're the Lamb of God, you're the Son of God. And the one that John had said he is not worthy to unstrap his sandal straps or unloosen his sandal straps. And we know that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. That's a triune verse there in the Gospels where Jesus is being baptized, he's God in the flesh. No one has seen the Father, but the only begotten of the Father, the Son. He has declared him. So Jesus is God in the flesh. The Father speaks and says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit in the form like a dove is descending upon Jesus. It's a triune verse. And that's a sign. It was a sign for John. And John is a sign because back in the book of Isaiah, God said, I'll send my messenger before you to prepare the way. 
So even as Saul had signs to confirm he'd be the king from the other prophets and the worship leaders, if you will, even when Jesus came to begin his earthly ministry, the spirit came upon him. There was confirmation through the prophet, the one who prepared the way, John the Baptist. He's a sign. And then he sees the sign that the father gave him. He said, I would know, but this is how I know. And he had a sign and confirmed that Jesus is the Christ. And so from that time on, Jesus stepped up and entered into his ministry. And the first thing he did was go into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days and to have victory where our father Adam had failure with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But Jesus didn't begin his ministry without the Spirit coming upon him to have that spiritual battle and be led by the Spirit into the wilderness because we're told after that happened, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he had that victory. So Saul is a very weak prototype of what the great King Jesus did, right? Like, I mean, you see like the similarities, right? You can see what, how it worked for Saul, but with Jesus, it was God's plan. Now, Jesus is sinless. Jesus is perfect. But yet, even in his earthly ministry, it was a plan of God that the Spirit would come upon him, which is such a mystery, but would come upon him to do all that he did. He didn't do one miracle until that happened. So now as we come fast forward to the New Testament and for followers of Christ, we realize that we absolutely have to be spirit-filled and spirit-led to fulfill our ministries. When we pass from death to life through faith in Christ and being born again, we're not left in our own efforts, but we're told that he's given us all things pertaining to this life and godliness, that we have everything we need in Christ, and that the Spirit's going to give us the mind of the Spirit to think like Christ. We're going to have the fruit of the Spirit to bring forth the character of Christ. We're going to have the gifts of the Spirit to have the power of Christ in his church. And we're going to have the baptism of the Spirit to be a witness for Christ and how we conduct ourselves, how we act, how we react, and how we even proclaim the truth. And again, we often think like being baptized in the Spirit, being a witness for Christ, we think we picture someone like Billy Graham or Franklin Graham or Greg Laurie or Raul Reese or someone like that preaching the gospel. But remember, Paul said that when he came to the Corinthians, he came in much fear and trembling. There was nothing when Paul shared the gospel that made you think he's this great orator. You would never have thought that. By his own admission, he was afraid and trembling. But that he was in that, even though that's how he was when he shared the gospel truth, it was evidence of the power of God, because as Sam taught last Tuesday in Corinthians, the weakness of God is greater than the strength of men, and the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. So that's what we have. Our application from this text is we can be so much more than Saul ever was in the Old Testament at his greatest moment in his beginning. We could never be what Christ is and how he was, but yet Jesus said greater things than these you can do. So we certainly should be women and men who rise up in the morning with faith to expect great things from God and be willing to attempt great things for God. Because even says in the text, he gave him, you'll be a new man or a new woman, and you have signs to confirm it, and then see that you do what the occasion demands. So we're reminded like, hey, Saul, you're the king. Step up and lead like a king. Be led of the Lord that you can lead for the Lord. Hey, woman, you're a woman of God. Be led of the Lord so you can lead for the Lord where God's put you. Step up, like embrace what God has for you and rise to the occasion. 
see that you do as the occasion demands. And I think that's the word for us from this text on Saturday and tonight. In 2022, that whatever it is the Lord wants to do in our life, see that we do it. We're going to see in the next chapter these people that didn't do, do anything. And they had to be rescued because they don't do anything. They'll let you poke their right, out, right eye out, literally. Because they don't do anything. They don't get involved. They don't take a stand. They're not hot. They're not warm. They're lukewarm. They're just, they're just, they're Jabesh Gilead. We're meant to do something. There's a ministry we have with one another, like when we do the home groups or the men get together or the women and you just iron, sharpening iron and stirring up love and good works. And maybe you have a word or a wisdom of knowledge or a healing and you have faith to believe something for someone that maybe they're, they don't have the faith, but you do. And it might just be the very thing that brings it to pass. We can do that every night we're gathered. We can do that on Saturdays when we're gathered or in our own grids. We can do that. We don't have a lot of structured ministries, but we have a lot of fluid ministries. So step up and do what the occasion demands. If it's on your heart, do it and be it, right? But then really you're equipped to go out into the world, as I'm equipped by the text myself, to go out into the world and, 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 and live it and bring Jesus to that, equation, to that equation and those circumstances. And obviously we're not perfect, but we want to be a better version of who you are this year than you were last year, which means you're going to be a better version of Christ to the world. And again, you might be the, I might be the only Jesus people see. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And, and no matter how difficult or arduous your circumstances might be, or pleasant and favorable, you and I, through faith in Jesus Christ and being born again, we are bringing Jesus to that equation. And we want to step up and do as the occasion demands. And that might be saying nothing when everyone's saying something. It might be speaking up when no one's willing to speak up. It might be willing to be all in and risk everything. Just know the Spirit will guide us and don't overthink it. Because Jesus himself said in the last day, when they bring you before magistrates and you know this and that, he said, don't worry about what you'll say. The Spirit will give you what you need in that moment. So it's really about being with the Lord in the morning, like Jesus with the Father. And it's about walking in the consciousness and the awareness of God with a Christ consciousness, the Spirit of God leading us and mindful of the things of the Lord. And then we'll know. We'll know. And even if you're in fear and trembling, go, well, so was Paul. So here we go. Here's my best pitch. You know, just that's how it is. Your lack of confidence is all the more reason that Christ can work. Mine too. It was all there for Saul. God even gave him a new heart. <laughs> Isn't that nice? God gave him a new heart. He's, yeah, the, yeah, he renews us. His mercies are new every morning. So see that we do what the occasion demands. God's given us the spirit. He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So we want to go forward. Verse 10. When they came, then when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. And then the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. And it happened... When all who knew him formerly saw that indeed he prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? So he said, uh, uh, to look for the donkeys. Remember, the dad's donkeys were lost. That's how the story began a couple weeks ago. And when he saw that they were nowhere to be found, uh, we saw they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, hey, 
Tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, oh, he told us plenty of the donkeys have been found. But about the man of the kingdom, he, he didn't tell him what Samuel had said. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations, adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And when he caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near, by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, And there he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people with his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? And there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he... Saul held his peace. We've talked about this. We won't belabor it much more, but it's still worth considering because they are saying, this is your king. People love to worship what they can see, but we are called to worship what we can't see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. We, having not seen him, yet we believe. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas, how blessed are those who believe without seeing. You see because you believe because you see, but how blessed are those having not seen believe. We want to be women and men of faith in Jesus, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we want to see him with the eyes of faith. We want to see him in our mind's eye with the eyes of faith and be willing to just go for it. We don't need an earthly king to stand up and and capitulate our faith to him just because we can see him. But people love to be led by men and women of power. And men and women of power who are that way love to have that power. Now, you've maybe been in the room with some powerful people. Maybe people that control millions of dollars. Maybe people that have control over life and death, like judges, right? You know, maybe you're on a jury for a murder trial. Some, the judge can maybe have some. Listen, I was in the room with Bill Clinton when he was president. True story. Burlington, Vermont. I'm working for 440 an hour in room service. And they had the governor's convention at the Sheraton Hotel that year in 1995. 1996. Bill Clinton was president. And we had all this extra secret service there. And I went to work. I'm working room service at the Sheraton. And President William Jefferson Clinton, in his first term, is there. He's going to address all 50 governors in America. There in the banquet room where I serve food uh, on, on various occasions. And I'll never forget it. I was in my booth in, in room service, our little room. And Secret Service looks in. Remember, I told you the story before. So I'm like uh, where you are. And uh, that's right where I'm at. And Bill Clinton's right here. And I'll never forget this because he was coming through the doors. This is the best. He stopped and he did what all of us would do. He did a little. He did a little double. He did a little double look. 
True story, the Lord knows. I saw, I was like, oh, look at him. And uh, he walked right by me. I, he walked right by me, like this, like five feet. And I go, there goes the most powerful man in the world. Because essentially up until now, the president of the United States is considered the most powerful man in the world. As long as the dollar is the currency of the world, which is up for debate in the future, but presently is. You know, he who has the basketball controls the court. And uh, that's the way it works. But what I always remember about it, I was like, wow, man, that's the president of the United States. Wow, that's what a trip, man. Lord, you bring me to Vermont. Like, maybe I should pray for him, right? So anyways, he's addressing 50 governors, and I went in the banquet room. And so 50 governors and the president. And I'll never forget, like, how the people, they, they were in a frenzy. They were intoxicated and enraptured with that man and his power. And I felt at that moment, he could have told the people in that room, apart from some of those governors who would take offense with him and issue, but the general people that were invited, the general population in Vermont, believe me, Vermont loved William Jefferson Clinton when he was president. And I just thought, these people, I came here to share Jesus with them. I've shared Jesus with them. And I'm offering them so much more than what that man is offering them. But but they have to see with the eyes of faith what I'm offering them as opposed to this man with all this power that they can see clearly and it requires no faith. Just made me glad I served Jesus and then the day was over and I went home to my wife and my kids. Just another day in the life of Joey Brand. And where is he and where am I? Where are you? I don't know where he's at, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm closer to glory. I'm closer to glory. I was working for 440 an hour, a nobody picking up dirty dishes that day. And I know when I get to heaven, I'm somebody because I serve the king as do you. So let the kings of the world like Saul have their praise and let those who serve the king of, the king of kings bow the knee. Amen? Amen. Now, there is another application. I just had to tell that story. Pastor Joey's story. Because it's a good one. I mean, it's not the president, right? But there is an application here too to take to heart. It says that God gave him men who were aligned to him, valiant men whose hearts were yoked to him. Did you catch that? And then yet there was men who despised him. By the way, that's probably your first day at work with Jesus on the new job. God's going to give you some people that he's allied to you to help you because you're his daughter or his son. And there are going to be some people who are opposed to you no matter what. Because they don't serve King Jesus, or they just don't like you. And this is life. We want to please everybody, but you can't. And when you're obeying the Lord and serving the Lord, you just have to realize, no one is an island to ourselves, and as iron sharpens iron, so we're stirring up love and good works, and God gives us whatever he's calling us to do to step out and to do it. As it says, do what the occasion requires, Right? See that you do what the occasion requires. When we step into things that are a stretch of faith, this new job, this new project, this new life, this you know, 20 units or whatever, this whole, you're going to do it. You can do the five years to do special ed- education. Whatever it might be, you're going for it. But you're never alone, obviously, because the Lord's always with us. But then he does bring us valiant people. He will bring us people. Since Proverbs says, by wise counsel wage war, and the multitude of counselors wisdom, it stands to reason... As you make yourself available to the Lord, he, and you're taking steps of faith, he's going to bring people into your life that also are taking steps of faith. Because likes attract like. And he will bring those people. 
That's what he does. You know, when I first went into ministry with Brian Broderson and Brian ministered to me and discipled me and Gaylord Tohill was there, he's now with the Lord and he gave me good insight for finances and administration. God brought some key people. Eddie Hill was a worship leader that became a very good friend of mine. He sang at Jennifer and I's wedding when we got married. Eddie Hill, up until recently, for years, did my taxes. He's usually the smartest guy in the room. Takes a really smart person or woman to be in the room that's smarter than... He's just one of those guys. He's been to Russia, so he knows what Russia's like. We could talk about Russia ministry and things like that. But like, sometimes I'll sit... I'll make a list, and this is worth doing for you. I'll, think, I'll, like, I'll make a little journal and be like, who are the people I really trust? And who are the people who have really spoken into my life? And fingerprints on my life are good things. They're valiant men and women who've helped me in my journey. Who have lifted me up. Spoken words of life. Who has God randomly brought my way for a season in life and maybe just said a couple things to me that I would never forget and you, you want your head on a swivel and your ears open so you hear that when it happens. But who are those people in your life? Who are the valiant men and women in your life that speak life and the promises and the kingdom of Jesus into your life? Because you're not alone. And you want to nurture those relationships. The great basketball coach, John Wooden, said, you get really good books, and they're like your best friends. And you know those books really well. Read books, read books, really good books. Not just read a 1,000 books, but maybe read like five books over and over and know them really well. And they become your good friends, right? That people are educated like in that way, if you will think that way. Well, when we step into eternity, we know we have a pretty short list of really true friends. Valiant men and women who help us. But also, are you someone's valiant men, man or woman? Because we want to we be the valiant woman in someone else's life. We want to be the valiant man in someone else's life. When someone says, oh, I have a circle of maybe five or ten people that I really trust their wisdom, their judgment. If we're talking about the Lord, if we're talking about finances, we're talking about life decisions, and I know they're available to me, if I call them. Like, there's a few people in this, this, this outer realm of my world that are very elite people, and I don't call them often, but if I call them, they will answer. And they know I'm calling to talk and be friends or get a word of wisdom. It's kind of like that with Brian Broderson. I don't call Brian that often. I haven't called him for probably a year. But if I call them, if he's not out of the country, he's going to take that call. Or he'll put, I'll get right back to you, little buddy. And he'll call. There's valiant men and women that have poured into your life. Value those relationships and build those relationships. Because you're called to be a king or a queen, if you will. We're kind of using this context. And you can't do it alone. We need people that have skill sets and I... Henry Ford, the founder of Ford Motors, very average education, below average education, and you know the Ford Empire speaks for itself. It's number two in the world behind Toyota to this day, five generations later. But he believed in the Model T when no one did and all this kind of stuff. But one of the things that uh, made him great is, you know, people say, like, well, you don't know anything. He goes, yeah, but I know enough to hire the people around me who know everything. <laughs> right? I mean, Dean's back here running the computer stuff. I don't know much about computers. I know he knows about everything about computers because he teaches computer science in college. So if I have a computer question and my son-in-law, Jacob, can't figure it out because he's pretty sharp too, or Luke, my other son, who's also sharp, I'll go right to Dean. Dean, I just volunteered you for every computer question anyone has in this room. Because he teaches every semester, so he's got to know what's going new and what's going on. So he's not static education. It's ongoing computer education. I didn't go recruit him. He just showed up. And now he runs the TV screen for us. And it's good, isn't it? You watch live stream, you're like, oh, we got an upgrade. Because Dean's running it. 
Build your valiant men and women around you. Value your valiant men around you. Be a valiant woman or man in other people's lives. That's a legacy that you want to give someone. And the ones who despise you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? They're never going to vote for you. They're never going to be on your side. So, like, you just love them. And I always say your world's like Jerusalem. Just don't let them inside the city gate to burn the city down. (laughs) Just don't let them in. Like, gates are closed. Like, Nehemiah, hey, beat it. Sunday, get out of here. Like, what are you going to do? There's always many people that despise you. You have a big dream God's put on your heart. There will immediately be people who come against it. But the Bible tells us to take every thought captive and obedient to Christ. So the Bible tells us to take thoughts captive. That means we can. So keep those people out and invite the people in who are valiant with you and what God's called you to do. Chapter 11. There's a short little chapter of this one. I'm going to read the whole chapter. So he held his peace. He's the new king. Everyone's not sure, like, well, he's the king, but, you know, we wanted a king, but these guys are like, ah, he's no king. He didn't rule over us. But valiant men were brought to him, the Lord, God, whose hearts God had touched. And then it says here in chapter 11, verse 1, Then Nahash the Ammonite, oh, here we go, we got an Ammonite, came up and encamped against Jabez Gilead. And all the men of Jabez said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, on this condition I'll make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. <clears throat> then the elders of Jabez said to him, hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel and then if there's no one to save us, we will come out to you. So they basically said, hey, give us seven days to find an army. Uh, otherwise, we'll come out to you and you can just poke our right eye out. So all the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news and the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the word of the men of Jabesh. Then the spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news. And his anger was greatly aroused. This is a good anger. This is like Jesus' anger in the temple. So he took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, sent them out through all the territory of Israel by the hands of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his ox. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people. And they came out with one consent. And when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. And so it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, killed the Ammonites until the heat of day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that not, no two of them were left together. It's a total rout. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they made sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Wow, that's... This is the... The highlight of Saul's life, right? Like, if you know the story of Saul, like, this is the apex. Like, this is the highlight of his life. So the last chapter, we had his 
anointing. This chapter we have his first act as a king, and it's a good one. And then next chapter we get his ordination, his coronation as king. Now, Jabez Gilead, back in the book of Judges, just a few months ago for us, when there was the rape and the dismemberment of the concubine against the tribe of Benjamin, so all Israel came together, remember, against the tribe of Benjamin, Jabez Gilead was on the other side. There are the two and a half tribes on the other side of the Jordan River there. And when all Israel came together to attack the Benjamites and hold them accountable for the violent crime that happened in their city and refusing to hand over the, perp, the perps, the perpetrators, they sent out for all Israel to come together to bring justice on the tribe of Benjamin. Jabez Gilead did not. They, they didn't show up. They just never responded. Like, kind of like, not our problem. Doesn't affect me. Didn't happen in our village. Didn't happen on our side of the river. What's it to me? That's their problem. You know, you know people like that. Why should I get involved? It's not my problem. Actually, it is. You're an Israelite. This happened. And this was going on. Oh, no. I, I don't want to get involved. I don't like conflict. And we just, want to, we just want to, you know, live in the desert and mind our own business. And no one messes with our solar panels. Right? Like, there's people like that. I, I don't want any trouble. Just leave, live and let live, you know? Yeah, that works until someone comes and burns down your village. That doesn't work. Sooner or later, we all have to take a stand. Are you for us or are you against us? Jabez Gilead never took a stand. They chose neutrality when in life where there's light and darkness, there is no neutrality. Like Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold, but lukewarm, it's just the gray area, ambiguity. We're either light or darkness. It's either heaven or hell. It's either justified or condemned. It's either the second Adam or the first Adam. That's what it is. We can't get around it. We pass from death to life, but we also enter the great spiritual battle. Christ is our king, and we have victory through his promises, through his word, the sword of his word, the arm of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, humility and brokenness. But there's a war. And it's a spiritual battle, and every one of us is in it, and this whole planet's in it. And every human war is an outward manifestation of the spiritual battles going on behind it. This planet's barely recovered from what it went through 80 years ago in World War II and 100 years ago in World War I. And that's why everyone's so unsettled right now, because this is a physical war, but there's spiritual elements behind it. And who can know? in our generation where it's all going to go. We know how the end game goes. These are the players, but who can know? But these guys, Javis Gilead, just a generation or so before, like, ah, we don't want to get involved. So then, after all Israel attacked Benjamin, you remember the story in Judges, there was no women left for what was left of the Benjamites. They almost wiped out all the Benjamites. They almost lost the tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. So they said, who didn't go to war with us? And like, they searched out, it was Jabez Gilead. So then Jabez Gilead got plundered by the rest of Israel, and the, the virgins were taken and given his wives to the tribe of Benjamin to replenish the tribe and the inheritance of the tribe of Benjamin, which ironically, we know Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. So that's their background. And here they are again now. Now they're attacked by uh, the Ammonites on that side of the river, and they're like, Sooner or, later, sooner or later, the conflict comes to your front door. 
Just ask Hoi Tim Boom. Hudson Taylor. Sooner or later, when you're serving the Lord, the conflict will come to your front door, or if you don't get called out and go right to it. There's no getting around conflict, WG. There's a battle. It's a spiritual one. And Christ is our victor, and he fights our battles. Some men trust in chariots, but we will trust the name of our God. So that's what David the great warrior said in one of his psalms. I believe it's Psalm 27. But at any rate, they got to be delivered. They just, they can't do it. Now, obviously, we got to be delivered through Jesus, our king, right? We can't do it. We can't save ourselves. So there would be a, a, an analogy or a typology there. But they got to be delivered. And it's just neat to see something good in Saul's life. But because the end of Saul's life is so bad, we have to be reminded before we move on to the next chapter to wrap up the night that a good beginning never guarantees a good ending. A good beginning. And if you don't close the deal, if you don't seal the fruit, as it says in Romans 15, you can have a bad ending. How many kings of the 40-plus kings in the Old Testament had bad endings? Pretty much most of them. We talked about Josiah, one who didn't. We want a good ending. Saul had such a great start. You know, you don't, as they say with golf, you can't, you can't win the tournament on Thursday, but you can lose it on Thursday. You, you got you to you hit your putts down the stretch. You know, your fairways, if you golf, like, you, you got to finish. And I just think of whatever God's putting the church through in 2022, I watched people that I love step into eternity last year that love the Lord and were part of this church. And they've finished. But we haven't. And however this goes down, this timeline we're in, I want to finish strong. I, I want to finish strong. I just want to keep finding another gear, find another gear, find another gear. I want the very best of everything Jesus ever did in my life to be in front of me, not behind me. And I've got some good moments, and so do you, just like Saul right here. This is a great victory for Saul. It's like, wow, you did an outrage. Those people came forward, and wow. You know, I was like, hey, forget that. That's, manna is old by sunrise. We need fresh manna for today. That's why the Bible tells us we're getting what lies behind. We press on to what lies ahead, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to read this third chapter, chapter 12. And it's the, the hat trick on these three chapters that go together with Saul's coming to the throne. Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have uh, heeded your voice in all that you said to me, and I've made a king over you. And now here is a king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I've walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I'll restore it to you. And they said, you've not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. See, he was above reproach. Verse 5. Then he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, okay, it is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers from the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and your fathers. When Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron 
who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. So now Samuel's recounting the book of Judges. Then they cried out to the Lord, and, he said, we, and, and they said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreths, the false gods. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies, and we will serve you. And the Lord sent to you Jerubbabel, Gideon, Baden, Jephthah, Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. And when you saw that Nashon, that's who we just saw in the last chapter, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, there is a king who you've chosen and whom you have desired. And take note, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him, obey his voice and do not rebel against his commandments of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you, as it was against your fathers. Now therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain, that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you've done in the sight of the Lord in asking the king for yourselves. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants and to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all of our sins the evil now of asking a king for ourselves. So we'll stop right there for a moment. I, you know, when I've read this in times past for 30 plus years, and maybe you've read this a few times yourself, I thought, like, why, like, it really is a big deal to ask for a king. Obviously, we realize that tonight, right? Like, it's a really big deal. Like, you know, when someone's like, I t- like your boss is like, dude, I told you, if you just done the way I told you to do it, I'm like, we kind of went through this already. You know what I mean? Like, like when your kid's like, dad, I get it. You know, when you scold your kid and you scold him for the same thing like three times, like, dad, mom, I get it. Like, Samuel's like scolding them over and over and over and over for the same thing. But it's not in the flesh, and I don't think it's in vain. He's reminding them that this is, as they say, you made this bed, you sleep in it. This is your doing. You did this. You rebelled against the Lord and what is happening in your life right now. You did this. The Lord didn't do this. The Lord had a better plan for you and you chose this plan and now you face the consequences of it. And don't we all know what that feels like? I certainly do. Like, and you can't go back and undo it, right? That's what the Bible says. Forgetting what lies behind, we press on to what lies ahead. Because we can't change the past. But oh my goodness, in Jesus' name, body of Christ, we have to learn from the past. We have to learn once and for all. Because otherwise, we're like the wilderness Jews, going in circles. Where the Lord says, you've skirted this mountain long enough. You're just going in circles. Same cactus, just a little bit taller. It's like going in circles around Tucson. Just going in circles. There just comes a point where we cannot keep shooting ourselves in the foot with the same mistakes. We have to grow and learn. And that's why he's reminding them of it. Because in scolding them, and he is scolding them, he's also reminding them of God's faithfulness to them, that he was their faithful king even though they've asked for a king. See, he's reminding them that God was their faithful king 
before they ever asked for a king they could see, which of course is King Saul. But he's also telling them, you know, King Saul will be your king. This, you know, you asked for a king, he gave you this king. It is a downgrade. Kind of like when after Solomon died, Solomon had gold shields, they got taken, and his son Rehoboam had bronze shields, and he couldn't even sleep at night. He put them in uh, the treasury room every night because he's afraid someone would take his bronze shields. It's a downgrade. It's a degeneration. And God's saying, you're settling through Samuel. You're settling for less. So the scolding is not like, Dad, there's nothing I can do about it. Mom, there's nothing I can do about it. Actually, there is. We can't change what you've done or what it looks like today, but we can make sure and purpose in our heart to never be like this again and to not make these mistakes again. Life is short, very short. There comes a point where you just get tired of shooting yourself in the foot. There just has to become a time where you say enough is enough, and that's that. And we need to say that to the person in the mirror if we're just going in circles. In the midst of this scolding, he says there in verse 14, A, the Lord gave you this king. And if you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. In other words, he's saying like, okay, we can't change yesterday, but if you just purpose today to do the right thing today, it's going to be okay. Your future is going to be good. The future is going to be good. But if you don't break out of this cycle, it's just going to be the same old, same old. So I'm being scolded for the repetitious failures of the past. There's still the exhortation and encouragement for something better in the future, but they they have to take ownership of it. Which brings us to verse 20 and the completion of the chapter. Then Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You've done all this wickedness. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. In other words, you're discouraged. You've been routed again. It's failure, failure, failure. You're on a losing streak. But don't be discouraged. Because if you purpose the right thing right now, you can turn this around. And we can get this going in the right direction. Get forgiveness. Get cleansing. Get healing. And make this right. And just go forward. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And therein is the failure of all of our, the reason for all of our failures is a, a divided heart or a partial heart or a deceived heart. But serve the Lord with all your heart and do not turn aside for then you would go after empty things that cannot profit or deliver you for they are nothing. How many people walk away from Jesus for empty things that cannot profit? The careers they choose, the carrots, the people, the relationships, for what? Something far less. For the Lord, verse 22, will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it pleased the Lord to make you his people. God just loves his people. It says in Timothy, when we're faithless, he remains faithful. God is good. Verse 23, moreover as for me, far it be for me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. <laughs> That's frustration in ministry. People, you watch people train wreck their life and you still keep praying for them. You do the best you can and you hope they will too. But I will teach you the good and the right way which is what I hope you always hear from the pulpit when you go to church. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he's done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. There's more consequences to come for bad decisions for the nation of Israel. And so this generation is left with what we're all left with. The generation is going to do something with Saul, then they're going to do something with David, then they're going to do something with Solomon, and then Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the divided kingdom. And in each generation, like ours, 
We're going to decide what we're going to do. We're going to decide if the Lord's king of our heart and his word is our constitution and it governs us or we're not. We're either going to be self-governed by God's word and by his Holy Spirit or be governed by rebellious men and women who are doing many things against his word. And we have to decide. But don't be like the men of Jabez Gilead. Definitely know which side is the right side, which I think we do. And do what's right. Because the real battle isn't so much things that are out of our control. It's the things, the choices that we make every day, right? There's grand things happening on planet Earth right now. They're so big. There's, there's, there's more coming. But what's in control is our personal choices to let Christ reign and rule over everything that is our mind, spirit, body, soul, our total being. And that's a good end. Blessed is that woman and blessed is that man. Amen.